Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking overtrained and undernourished. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 124 of the Eat Right Nutrition podcast. Today, we are talking overtrained and undernourished because it is, in fact, January of 2023. And we'll follow up on kind of our conversation, Nicole, from last week's podcast. And if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it because it's all about your mindset going into 2023, what you should be thinking about, and how you should be setting yourself up for success versus kind of how you've done things in the past and what your mindset may have been in the past if you've had trouble or struggled or gained weight and then lost it again. So go check that out. I'm not going to talk too much about that now because that's last week. Let's talk about right now. Right now we're talking about overtrained and undernourished. And I think, Nicole, this Mm -hmm. is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about something like this because this is a time of year where people try to jump into kind of this sprint mentality and I'm going to do all things all at once. Mm-hmm. And what sometimes all things all at once look like is too much and especially too much high intensity interval training combined with too little on the food end, not allowing you to recover. So the one thing that what I want to start with is kind of a definition of overtraining. So Overtraining occurs when a person exceeds their body's ability to recover from strenuous exercise, which to me obviously is pretty obvious. Overtraining can be described as a point where a person may have a decrease in performance and they can plateau, uh, resulting in failure to consistently perform a certain level of training load because the load is exceeding the recovery capacity. So you may look at it and say, okay, well, I'm a couple of things may may happen when you're overtraining. And Nicole, you and I have talked about the fact that you can be overtraining either from a exercise standpoint where you're doing too much or mm-hmm. from a nutrition standpoint because you're not fueling the body to mm-hmm. recover or a combination mm-hmm. of the two. I want to get into some of the potential mechanisms of what is going on inside of your body when you are, or I guess some of the hypotheses of what's happening. And I think it may be, it's probably a combination of these things. So one thought is that the micro trauma or micro tears to the muscles are created faster than the body can heal them. Another thought process is there aren't enough amino acids circulating in your system because the amino acids are used up faster than they're supplied in the diet. So Nicole, that's kind of what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about with Maybe you're using them up too quickly on the training end, or maybe you're just not fueling yourself and giving yourself adequate protein. So keep in Mm -hmm. mind that your body has a storage for fat and your body has a storage for carbohydrates, right? Fat is stored as fat, adipose tissue. Carbohydrates are stored in your body as glycogen, predominantly in your liver and then some in your muscle. And that glycogen for carbohydrates is used to regulate blood sugar and it's also used for immediate energy by those cells in which where in which they reside right so if i have 
glycogen stored in my muscle, my muscle is going to use that glycogen, that carbohydrate is basically going to break it down into sugar. And that glucose is going to go through the metabolic pathway of anaerobic respiration. And it's going to be used for energy immediately. But protein is a little bit differently because protein relies on what you've eaten over the last, say, 24 to 48 hours. I don't know, maybe 48 hours is a little bit of a stretch. So amino acids are just basically from what you eat and what's circulating in your bloodstream. And then you eat more protein and you add more amino acids. And then that combines to do certain things like create hormones, build muscle tissue. It can be used for your hair, your skin, your nails. It can be used for organ tissue. It can be used for to create enzymes. It can be used for various different things. Neurotransmitters are proteins, right? So it can be used for various different things in the body, but you always, you constantly have to be feeding the system protein and amino acids, because if you're not that like, that's what we call the amino acid pool. And if you're not, let's say you stop eating protein completely for a day, your circulating amino acids are going to be gone and you're not going to have any, there's no storage. It's just what's in your blood. Mm -hmm. So that's another way. And then the Third way is systemic inflammation where you're training too much and too hard and you're creating this inflammatory environment. And because of that, you're unable to recover. And this is an immune response that's going on that is not allowing you to properly recover. And Nicole, you're pointing to me here like <laughs> spot on. Exactly. So talk to me. What do you got for me? Well, the reason why I'm pointing at you is because for females specifically, because that's more my wheelhouse, is the inflammation, water retention aspect of not eating enough protein and then overtraining or lifting really heavy, doing lots of hit, running. Over time, so over a long period of time, that also can disrupt your hormones, your hunger cues, your sleep cycles. And then a lot of the time that becomes this ricochet of disrupting the body, creating more stress, and then stress for the female body. I mean, for anybody, it's it's a detriment. But for the female body, it can then shift cycles, create different aspects of... It can create different aspects of uh, your hunger levels, can get all over the place, and it can disrupt sleep. So I really think from a female standpoint, the aspect of inflammation, especially when the scale already fluctuates for the female body... If you're not recovering and you're not eating adequate protein, and then you're wondering why you have more water retention during your cycle or before your cycle, or your body can't get rid of the water, your lymphatic system can't drain because you're not eating enough protein. Edema is is one of the symptoms of severe underfed protein intake. So, you know, there's so many things that it can do from a stress standpoint on the body. And I just see it a lot in my female clients that come to me that have been, this is a big one in either competitors or power lifters, girls that are really, really pushing their body hard, under eating, and then really stressed out from, you know, an immune system standpoint. So Nicole, we've talked about in the past, we've talked about too low of calories. They'll affect both male and female hormones. And we've talked about uh, women losing their menstrual cycle. But what you're saying is beyond that, potentially like not even including the I'm having too many low, too low calories for a long period of time. Right. Yeah. So when that happens, what's going on is your body's just saying, Hey, like you're not eating enough to support childbearing. And therefore I'm going to, you know, shut down your, your hormones and your menstrual cycle because you're not fit to have a baby at this point. 
But what you're saying is there are effects even if you don't lose your menstrual cycle. Exactly. That is exactly what I'm saying. And a lot of the times the menstrual cycle can get worse. You can bleed more. You can have heavier periods. It doesn't we only ever really read or talk about menstrual cycles going away and disappearing and how bad that is, blah, blah, blah. But it can have there's so many other like in-betweens to that. It can get worse. It can get heavy. It can become longer. It can become like heavy PMS. There can be all kinds of aspects of stress responses that kind of just snowball into other things. Like I said, like sleep and hunger and cravings for food. And I find that the females that are more restrictive in their diet in terms of variety of food, types of protein, types of carbohydrates, they also tend to have real hard time recovering with workouts. That, and, and this is what's also really incredible. The body adapts. That's the whole point of strength training is that as you progressively overload, your body will adapt to it. So even if you're underfed, your body will still try to adapt to the pressure and the progressive overload that you put on it from a workout standpoint. So even though you won't know that right away, it takes time for that stress to build up before you start to feel the effects of being underfed or malnourished. And so you won't know that right away before you know it, like weeks, months, you start to have these symptoms. Females will have my period's just different or I'm not sleeping as much or I'm fatigued or, you know, last week I hit a PR and I can't touch that PR again because I'm just not feeling my best. It's it's like these tiny little like taps of things not feeling right. And people don't put that together until it becomes too late. And now there's a chronic problem. Well, this is where you really have to be in tune with your body and start listening to those cues that your body yeah. is giving to you before you reach that kind of chronic overtraining syndrome, right? Because what we're talking about is by the time those things happen where you stop progressing and you plateau, it's already too late. You've been overtraining for a period of time chronically, right? Yeah. In acute, like you can bust your ass in one gym session and overtrain per se. But really what we're talking about here is consistently overtraining over longer periods of time that are going to be detrimental to your health, detrimental yeah. to your training, your progress. Detrimental to your results. Yeah. Like, and that's the other thing. Like it's stress over time. It's not one hard workout where, yeah, you may be sore for a couple of days. You can't walk, but your body eventually will recover after a couple of days. And you have forced almost to give yourself the rest then. And a lot of the times, if you feed up over those couple of days, your body will recover. I'm talking months and sometimes with clients, two and three years of severe under eating or maybe not giving themselves some flexibility. And the other thing I was going to mention, like deloads and actually having a break from your program or high calorie days where you actually take a diet break, having a little bit of flexibility in there is the reason why you can create progress over a longer period of time. Right. And I think what happens is that people get in this mental thought that move more, eat less. And that's what I need to do. And that's what, how I'm going to get where I'm going. And then they do that over and over and over again for years. And they're still not getting anywhere. And they're like, that's where they come to us. And they, they're afraid of eating more. And we have to get through that mental barrier of, listen, you're going to have to increase your calories over a period of time. You're going to have to back mm -hmm. off of training. You're going to have to stop doing high intensity interval training. You're going to have to stop pushing in all these uh, uh, these classes, right? These, um, the, the group fitness classes that people are doing on a consistent basis. Well, sometimes I think it's not just about 
low calories. It's also about quality of food and eating the same things for a long period of time. Because I've had clients that eat adequate amount of calories, but they're also highly restricted in the type of foods that they're eating. So they're only eating four protein options, or they're only eating two carbohydrate options or one vegetable. And they do that over and over and over and over again without any variety or without any foods that are fun or foods that they love or things that are highly palatable kind of sprinkled in. I know that that's really hard to wrap your brain around, but it does not have to be so restricted for it to be a good quality nutrition plan, program, lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. Nicole, I want to talk about you brought up deloads. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about what a deload is for anybody listening that doesn't understand what a deload is, because I think everyone in, I not everyone, but I think a lot of people in Gen Pop don't know what a deload is, right? Unless you've worked with a trainer and they've programmed deloads for you. Yeah. It's not something that's commonly talked about. So yeah. a deload is basically when you're following a progressive overload program, I'll give you an example of what my program looks like right now, which by the way, I have a coach because coaches have coaches as well. And I hired my friend Re, who's been on this podcast twice, uh, who's phenomenal at programming because it kind of takes away from me having to think about it. I just mm-hmm. go in and execute. I don't want to deal with that stuff because I've, you know, my mind's all over the place with my clients' programs. I just want to have somebody do it for me. So I just wanted to add that little tidbit of information there. But mm-hmm. essentially, the way the program works is week one of the program, I will go into, I'll have the workouts be in the two to three reps in reserve range, which means Mm -hmm. that I'm two to three. I have usually I say like two to three left in the tank or I'm two to three reps away from failure. So what that means is I can only kind of picture myself doing two to three more reps and I couldn't get a fourth if I tried. Right. And some of that is I don't know if I guess it's a little subjective, like you kind of just have to guess a little bit. And then based off of what I did that week, weight-wise, we'll increase the weights for the second week and we'll say, we want to have one to two reps in reserve. And then the following week, week three of the program, say it's all the same exercises. Week three of the program is going to be zero reps in the tank. So I'm going to go until I fail, whatever weight mm-hmm. that looks like. And sometimes you have to play around with weights. to do. Now, you don't have to adjust weight. You can adjust tempo. You can adjust all different aspects. You can adjust rest intervals in order to achieve failure. It doesn't necessarily have to be the load, but oftentimes it is the load. And then after that week three, where I go to failure, because I've fatigued my central nervous system so much in week four, I want to go into a deload where I'm doing, say, 50% of what Mm -hmm. I was doing the previous week. And the purpose of a deload, now you can do a deload in two different ways. You can either A, take a week off, and just not train in that week. However, you'll want to maintain as much strength as you can. So it would be wise to deload just so that you have some stimulus. So you cut the weight in half and you're doing, it's basically, it's boring. It's a boring week. It sucks to do that. However, what I've also found is that in, if I'm in a fat loss phase, when I incorporate that deload week, that following Mm -hmm. week, I tend to lose weight or I even lose weight in the deload week, right? We oftentimes think that I need to work hard, work hard, work hard. Otherwise, the weight's not going to come off. But sometimes when we unload some of the stress on our system, Mm -hmm. our body is enabled to lose the weight in within that week. 
right? So yes, well, that, muscles that's it, grow during rest. That's what muscles grow during rest. And you you also reduce inflammation. You're able to lose mm-hmm. some weight. You lose some water weight too when you reduce yeah. inflammation because inflammation comes along with water weight too. So that is that aspect of that. And Nicole, I wanted to also bring up something that was super prominent within the CrossFit community. And this is why this is a, a an important topic to talk about within the realm of New Year's because people like to hit the ground running. What I saw when I was first introduced to rhabdomyolysis, also known as rhabdo, it was mm-hmm. within the CrossFit community. And the reason why rhabdo was... Com- so rhabdo is essentially rapid breakdown of muscle tissue. And you will notice that in your urine because your urine will basically become brown, like you're peeing out the the byproducts, the waste products from the breakdown of muscle tissue. And what the reason why rhabdo happens is it can happen for a couple of reasons. Medically, like let's say you get in a car crash and you have a large amount of impact, you break down a lot of muscle tissue, that will happen. And before CrossFit, I think it's only it had only been seen within athletes, professional athletes, like football players, for example. And the reason being is because they would, the ones that would do nothing in the off season and not work out whatsoever, and then jump into two a days for preseason and on season, it's too much too fast. And this is what we saw when we saw CrossFit, because they would invite in these people from the street. Like people were like, I've heard about CrossFit, this new thing. I want to try it out. And they had never worked out before. And now they're thrown into these classes of this high intensity training. You're doing uh, 30 uh, clean and jerks. You probably had shitty form because you've never worked out before. Right. A lot of the gyms did have a uh, like a four week, you know, uh, general preparedness uh, introduction where, okay, well, we we need you to hit these kind of metrics before we throw you into the general classes. Mm -hmm. But even still, that wasn't enough to prepare a lot of people for the high intensity classes. You're doing 30 clean and jerks and then you're following it up with a run and then you're coming back and you're doing kipping pull-ups and you're doing all this stuff that you've never done before. So what I want people to be careful of is just that. If you're going into the new year and you Mm -hmm. are training very, very hard, very, very fast, and if you find yourself very sore, like one of the symptoms, one of the biggest symptoms of overtraining is DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. We expect you to be sore the day after your workout, especially if you're new to it. Now, soreness is not an indication. I want to throw this out there. Soreness is not necessarily an indication of a good workout. You can get an excellent workout and get results without being sore. Mm -hmm. Usually when you're sore, it's because you're exposed to new stimulus. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we expect you the day after to be a little bit sore. And we expect you the following day after that to be even more sore. But then after that, it should start tapering down. If you're sore beyond 72 hours, you're overtraining and you need to back off. Right. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people think that they need to do a ton of stuff, a ton of different exercises. They need to incorporate 20 different, 20 different sets of all these different exercises into a workout in order for it to be successful or they need to get their heart rate up to be successful and get results, or they have to sweat a tremendous amount in order to get results. Mm -hmm. None of those things are true. And you need to follow a progressive overload workout like we talked about, and you need to give yourself time to rest and recover and deload. And the other piece to avoid when you're trying to avoid overtraining is 
I say you need two days off. So if you're doing, if you're working out five days a week, especially if you're new to it, you can get away with working out six days a week, getting at least one day of recovery. Typically what I'd say is for somebody who's really anxious and just wants to get that activity in, do five days a week and then do a day of active recovery. And then one day where you're just not doing anything. All right. So Nicole, moving along to, I mean, I guess, did we cover exercise? I think so. I mean, I think everybody gets the gist of what we're saying. Don't just do don't work much. out too don't much. Don't do too, too little. Fast. Yep. And too hard. Yeah. Too fast or too hard. And then the next part is the nutrition part. Do you want to uh, segue us into the nutrition part? Yeah. I mean, listen, here's the thing about the nutrition part. I don't even know how to kick this off without just getting in kind of aggressive. But if you are either new to working out or you've been working out a long time in either situation, the idea behind feeding your body has to be the, the number one goal. Like you have to have a really healthy relationship with food. That's a foundation, making sure you're not underfed. Cause there's a big difference between malnourished and then underfed and then fed. Like I categorize it. I have three categories to that because a lot of people, what you're talking about being underfed is just eating, not eating enough and maybe not getting a balance of your macronutrients and maybe being really restrictive with the types of food that to me would be like underfed malnourished is a whole nother bottom level to not only being underfed, but really having an issue with food and your mindset around food and your relationship around food. I want to jump in because what, you're reminding me of or making me think of when you're saying malnourished is the people that I think this is an issue with their perception around what is too little, what is enough, what is too mm -hmm. much in terms of calories. And I think that culturally speaking, or from a societal standpoint, we have issues with the perception of that. And it's yeah. kind of like where I speak about, I remember I did a reel on carbohydrates and, and the perception of carbohydrates, right? So for example, if I tell somebody to eat 130 grams of carbohydrates a day. And they're like, wow, that's a lot of carbs. And I say, well, your brain uses 130 grams of carbs in a day, and then you're not leaving anything else for the rest of your body. So, you know, you, you may tap into glycogen, you may break down protein in order to, to hit that number. Your body's going to find the carbohydrate from somewhere, right? Same thing goes for calories. When you're talking malnourished, these are the people that are again, you could be malnourished from two standpoints. You can be overtraining and exerting too much effort and calories and burning too many calories. But also on the input side, you're not consuming enough calories. Like malnourished is, I think I need to eat 1200 calories or below a day in order to get results. And the reality is that when those people come to me, it's sometimes a difficult conversation because mm -hmm. now I have to explain to them, You've been eating 1200 calories for many years and you haven't been seeing results. And well, for the first thing I need to do is see that they're, tr they're truly doing that. So log in your food journal first. But yeah. then I have to have the conversation about reverse dieting and hey, this process is, I know you wanted it to take three months or six months, but mm -hmm. this process is going to take a lot longer because now I need to bring you up to maintenance calories, keep you there for a period of time. And then mm -hmm. we need to figure out what the best strategy is for you to actually lose the weight. But you, the, the reason why we have to do this is because when you're severely under eating, there are a lot of metabolic adaptations that are occurring. And I want to mm -hmm. kind of dispel the belief or the myth that there's quote unquote metabolic damage because that's not, you're not damaging your metabolism. It's just 
a series of metabolic adaptations. Your hormones change, estrogen changes, I'm sure progesterone changes. A lot of the hormones that I'm familiar with that do change are your thyroid hormone changes. That that goes down, which uh, is crucial for controlling your metabolic rate, how many calories you burn in a day. Leptin is also suppressed. So when leptin is suppressed, leptin is also involved in your metabolic rate. There are a whole host of different hormones that are suppressed that will reduce your metabolic rate. And in addition to that, what we find is neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis, where like little movements throughout the day that you do kind of unconsciously, those mm -hmm. things are reduced as well. And all of the combination of those things are causing you to burn less calories. And we need your body to, we need to optimize burning calories. And one of the other ways that we optimize burning more calories is, well, we need to put on more muscle. And I'm not talking about a couple of pounds of muscle because mm -hmm. on average, if we look at the numbers, and I, I think this is oftentimes overstated where people will say, uh, you know, you burn, I, I don't know where the number came from, but I, I've, I've been hearing like 50 calories for every pound of muscle that you gain. And I'm like, that seems like a lot. The reality is the average amount of calories that a pound of muscle will burn is about six calories per day. So with that being said, that doesn't, I know that that doesn't seem like a lot, but over the course of a year, if you put on 10 pounds, that's 60 calories. Then if you put on another 10 in the next year of muscle, that's 120 calories and so on and so forth. And then this is where the dialogue needs to shift of like, hey, you're going to need to spend a few years rebuilding all of these things and building yourself up to the point where you are that person that can be just a metabolic machine. Yeah, I think my all of that 100%. My piece with that in terms of malnourished is more the relationship with food. That's what happens when they don't feed their body. But there's also the mindset and the fear and all of the things that they believe about themselves that they can't do, whether it be eat carbs, drink alcohol, women that think they're going to bulk up if they get muscular, all of the, the myths. Building their healthy relationship with food means that there's a wide variety of options, that there's the ability to eat when you are actually hungry, when you need to feed your body. And a lot of these things happen when they're either they're either reading things online or they're listening to friends tell them things that they've done. Like it's none of it is real information. So having to kind of backtrack and get the mindset right around their relationship with food, their relationship with food or your relationship with food, not anybody else's or your family or your, you know, people around you, because everybody's relationship with food is going to be different. And everybody has a different kind of makeup of what their body can tolerate. But malnourished is also, are you getting the, enough vitamins and minerals? Are you getting adequate water? Like the body needs to be able to function before you can do anything else in terms of building muscle or even getting to work out properly. So that's to me is the one end. Then under eating is just not eating enough. Maybe they have a great variety of food or they have a better relationship with food and they're then just not eating enough, which is another level. And then being fed is the third piece. Being fed isn't enough to just be fed. Now you have to figure out what fed means for you, how you utilize that, what the level of maintenance versus surplus is for you. 
and then how you utilize that to better your progress and your results. Each of those three tiers has different tiers within that those levels that you have to kind of climb the ladder to get to. And so when you talk about years of progression and training, it's the same thing with nutrition. And I think a lot of the times the reason why this this seesaw of being overtrained and underfed happens is because they're focused on just training, but there's no tier approach to the nutrition, or they're focused on the nutrition and there's no like tier approach to the progression in, in their workout. And so it gets off. So there's holes in each of the two. And the goal for a coach and a client is to figure out what you might be missing in each of those aspects and how to plug that in to become, you know, your best you, both from a nutrition and a workout standpoint, to create a plan that's going to propel you to reach your results. And also like from a psychological standpoint, like you're talking about the relationship with food. And obviously, as always, I went to the science and you, Nicole, went to the psychology. (laughs) But I think that is what makes our show great is that we combine not only the and this is maybe I'm just biased and I just think our show is fabulous, but we (laughs) we combine the we combine the science with the psychology and the practical solutions and and all of that stuff. And we also have the male female perspective. So, yeah. Um, well, you can't get to the science unless your mind is right. So I think a lot of the times the reason why people don't get the goals that they want or get to the goal that they want is because they're so stuck in the limiting beliefs that they have regarding nutrition, exercise, or whatever it may be for the ultimate body that they want to get. And I also think that people severely underestimate the amount of effort it takes to get to the goal. Everybody's just rushing to get to the goal and to trying to do it with as little amount of effort as possible. So if I just pull back all the carbs and I don't eat, then I don't have to worry or think about what I actually should be eating or how that might help my body. I'll just take them out and not think about it. It's an easier option. Just take them out. You don't ever have to worry about it. But maybe you should do some research or get a coach or understand how your body utilizes carbs and why you should have them and how much you should have and start asking questions and figuring out what you need to do to be your best self. And the same thing with workouts. I don't really think there's a bad workout. I think how you use your workouts and your body and how your body handles stress, how your nervous system handles load, all the things that we're talking about, you have to inquire and become curious about it for your body. That's how you understand the level of effort that you need. And then that effort that you figure out what your body needs, then you get to a place where you you utilize that to the best that you can and you get your results. Yeah. All good stuff, Nicole. Uh, I think this is important. Like I said, going into the new year with people and their goals and just trying to jump in head first. And I think that it is wise to take a step by step, build habit, habit by habit, really focus on nourishing your body. You would be surprised how many people I would have females too at like 2,500 calories a day, losing weight and surprised that they're doing it. So it's a lot of it is about fueling your body, making sure that you're recovering, because if you're not recovering, you're not going to get results. We talked about some of the mechanisms of overtraining. Uh, It could be too much trauma on the muscle and the body can't heal from it. It could be not enough nutrients, not enough amino acids that are those are the building blocks of proteins and the building blocks of a lot of hormones that regulate these things and the building blocks of actual muscle that you're breaking down when you're working out. And also a third mechanism is systemic inflammation and just creating an inflammatory environment through too much stress. Now, I want to just kind of mention the fact that the way the body changes is through stress, right? You need to put your body through a stress and you need to work hard enough to be able to do that. 
However, sometimes people tend to put too much stress on the system and that, that kind of backfires. So you need a happy medium and you need a good balance and you need to make sure that you are fed and that you are taking time to recover and rest. And I hope that that is helpful for you going into this year. And that gives you some food for thought so that you can be successful in your fitness journey. And if you have any questions at all, or you need help, or maybe you want us to take a look at your program, maybe you need a couple of pointers, shoot us a DM at Eat Right Nutrition on Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 